This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Good morning. Glad to see you here today. That you preferred the Father over fireworks. Way to go. We had several that didn't, so I'm glad to see you. And that's not that I'm against fireworks, okay? But I do believe in honoring God when we're supposed to, so bless all of you. Hey, if you got a, need a Bible, raise your hand. Get it up real high. I want you to get the Word in your hand again today. Once you go to get a Bible, or got your Bible, either one, go to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Now, we've been talking about genetics and the stuff that happens to us through iniquities and stuff that's handed down. You know, uh, Exodus 20, verse 5 says, God visits or punishing the iniquities of the father to the third and the fourth generation, but showing mercy to the thousands who love and obey him. And so God's got a plan for every one of our lives. And understand this, Jesus didn't die for us to deny or ignore the things we're going through. He denied, or He died to set us free. And so, are there any areas of your life that are unresolved? Where you say, man, I I need to come to a place in my life where I can move forward. And, you know, every one of us get in those situations. And so, the goal today in this is to show us how we get past generational curses and iniquities, the things that try to hold us in bondage. So, you're going to get a lot of info today biblically. Let's begin Isaiah 53. Verse 4, surely he, now Isaiah prophesied this talking about Jesus. Surely he, Jesus, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he, Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities, The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Thank the Lord. And so you see a couple truths real quick we need to deal with, that he said that he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. The word transgression and iniquities both have to do with sin. The word sin itself, it means to miss the mark, what God desires for us. The word transgression means to trespass. It would like someone having a sign on their building and it said, no trespassing allowed. And you just decided to go ahead and go in there without permission, so you've now trespassed. Well, to a degree, that's what we do with the things of God, that God puts his word out there. And when we think we can go around it or do whatever we want, we've trespassed. The word iniquity is for us to bend, to twist, or distort, or to lean into a certain direction, whether it's sin, a behavior, or an attitude. Now, when we talk about sin, if I was to sin and then repent of it and turn from it and never do it again, it would be over. That's it. But when I sin and I sin and I sin and I find myself repeating that sin, it now becomes an iniquity. Now, the Apostle Paul said this, and this may help you, this really helps me to think about that he said that the thing I want to do, that's what I don't do. And the thing I do, that's the thing that I want to do or I don't do. 
And so when you look what he said, a lot of times that's how we are as human beings. And so sometimes there's these tendencies with this within us. And if we get in a right atmosphere or an environment, we become very spontaneous to lean in that direction, to go in that direction. Even though there's times in your life that you say, I don't want to go in the direction. I don't want to do those things. Now, this, this may bear witness with you for, for years of my life. I would say things like, well, I can get free from this. I can do this. It doesn't have to dominate me. Now, what I found in my life, I would usually make it about a half a day. I'd grit it out and grind it out. And then before long, I'd realize I can't do it. And so the bottom line is, Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. And he was bruised for your iniquities. Jesus took our place. And so... Jesus did for me and you what we couldn't do for ourselves. Now look what happens in verse 6. All we are like sheep have gone astray. We've wandered off and we've turned everyone to his own way. The new living says right there, we left God's path to follow our own. Now anytime I leave God's path to follow my own path, I might as well get ready. It's not going to be good, okay? God did not design us to leave his path. And so when we do that, we've transgressed. We've trespassed against what he wanted us to do. Now look at the last part of verse 6. And the Lord has laid or piled on him the iniquity of us all. So get this in, in, in an image in your mind that God said, I'm just going to pile all the iniquities, and that's what it said, all the iniquities upon Jesus. So every iniquity that's in this realm called earth would look like Pike's Peak. It would be massive. But he said something. He said, I laid them all on him. So if God said, I'm going to lay them all on him, he's telling me and you, let's get rid of them. Let's get rid of them and let's just receive what Jesus did for us. And when it says there that he was uh, wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, if you'll notice, his chastisement was for our peace, not his, but for ours. And it says, by whose stripes you're healed. So when we talk about healing right there by the stripes of Jesus, all the stripes, the lashes that he took on his back, that was for our healing, but it wasn't just for our physical healing. I believe the Lord Jesus wants to make us whole. Even emotionally, even in our hearts where we go through life and we go through life victorious. Now, turn with me to the book of Leviticus, chapter 26. Genesis, Exodus, and then Leviticus. Leviticus 26. And so Jesus, he bore my guilt and he, he took my shame and his, his blood causes me to live in victory. And when we look at those things, a week ago, we talked about in, in 1 Corinthians 5 that Jesus was our Passover. So we come under his blood. Now, I'm going to get into that a little bit more because sometimes I can make statements and say, we need to learn to live by the blood well, if I really don't know how to apply or appropriate the blood, that's just a thought to me. 
And so today, we're going to show you biblically the things we do to sever the generational iniquities, but also how we live under the blood of Jesus. Now, in this passage here, in, in the book of Leviticus, and especially Deuteronomy, there was only two choices, the blessing or the curse. I'm going to live under one or the other. Start with me here in verse 39. And those of you who are left shall waste or rot away in their iniquity in your enemy's land. Also in their father's iniquities, which are with them, they shall waste or rot away. Verse 40. Look at the first two words in there. My Bible is but and if. Those are big words. But and if. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquities of their fathers. Now, when we talk about the word confess, that is literally having to do with repenting. When I repent to the Lord, I confess out of my mouth my sins. And he said there, we are to confess our iniquities. So to a degree, God's telling me and you, you've got to take responsibility for the things you've done. Now, as a, as a human being, I understand all the things that I've done in my life are my choices. So when I read this, I am to repent of my iniquities, I don't have a hard time doing that. I can do that. But the next thing he said, we are to repent of our father's iniquities. We're to confess the iniquities of our fathers. And I look and I said, now, wait a minute. Why would I have to confess my father's iniquities? Why didn't he do it? That's the issue with an iniquity. They've never been repented of and forsaken. So when I don't repent of it, nothing's going to happen. Now, if you want to see something really, really clear that will cause this part to jump out to you, look at the end of verse 39. It says, also in their father's iniquities, and get the next few words there, which are with them. What's with me? My father's iniquities. So when I decide, you know what? I'm, I'm walking in this stuff, and part of it is, is because I've consented to it. I've approved of it. I've went ahead and said, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and live this way. I didn't have to live in that iniquity, but I went ahead and do it. But when I say, you know what? I'm going to confess it, and I'm going to confess the iniquity of my fathers, then something begins to happen. There becomes a severing of it. So he goes on and says, And the iniquities of their father... With their unfaithfulness, in which they were unfaithful to me, that they also have walked contrary or in hostility to me. And there I have also walked in hostility or contrary to them, and have brought them to the land of their enemies. If their uncircumcised or stubborn hearts are humbled, and they accept their guilt, then I will remember my covenant. So when he tells me about we will accept our guilt. He's telling us, take responsibility for your choices. Take responsibility for our actions. And so the way that, that these sinful patterns are stopped in my life, I deal with it properly. How do I deal with it properly? I repent of it. And I change of it. 
And I say, Lord, I take responsibility everything I've done. Now, if you'll note in the last part of verse 41, he said, if their uncircumcised hearts are humbled. 1 Peter 5, it says that God gives grace to the humble. A humble heart comes before God and doesn't make excuses. A humble heart comes before God just like this. But the very opposite of a humble heart is a heart of pride. And in 1 Peter 5, it says God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. Now, when I see the word he resists the proud, one translation says he opposes us. And so I don't want God to oppose me. And so I must come into his presence humble. And I must come into his presence with a repentive heart because a repentive heart is a humble heart. And so it's just owning up and saying, this is who I am. And understand that Father God is not a covenant breaker. And so when I do my part, God will do his part. God will begin to move in your life and my life. Now, turn with me to the book of Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, and you may say, where are we heading there? Or how we get there? Well, you go to Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and, and then you'll jump. Those are the major books. Then you'll jump into Daniel chapter 9. Now, as we're turning to Daniel 9, the entire book of Daniel is about triumphant faith. And, and he was the man that said, I'm going to believe God and I'm going to trust God. No matter what's going on, no matter what everybody else is going to do, I'm going to trust God. And part of his trusting God and living by faith is he was saying, I will not compromise my convictions. Now, if you studied this, the, the, the people of Daniel's land made it a decree to King Nebuchadnezzar. And they said, if anybody bows down to worship anything but this golden idol, we're going to toss them into the lion's den. Now let's just think right now, right now in America, right now in this room, that if they came in here today and they said, if you don't renounce the name of Jesus, we're going to throw you in the lion's den. What would you do? How many Christians would say, I don't know who Jesus is. See, my point in this right now, that in America, the church as a whole has not been persecuted. I mean, you think for years in our public schools before they kicked God out and took out prayer and the Ten Commandments, the things that God was before our, our, our students. And so, right now, you're beginning to see some things in America where I'm just warning you, you're going to start being persecuted for being a Christian. And you're going to have the opportunity to live with triumphant faith, just like Daniel did, and to say, I don't care what goes on, I will not compromise my conviction. Now, Billy Graham said this the other day, and this was a great, great quote. The Holy Spirit's job is to convict, God's job is to judge, and my job is to love. It's pretty good right there. That if we would live that way, we're going to be all right. And I, I don't say this stuff to put fear in you. But I'm telling you right now, things are going to change. 
So you're going to find out who the real Christians are. So we're here in Daniel chapter 3. Understand this, that in Daniel's time, the nation was in bad shape. Kind of like America. Bad shape. Verse 3. He said, Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplication. Now I can learn something right there from what he said. When the going gets tough, the Christians need to pray. But too many times, when the going gets tough, the Christians would rather bellyache. And that's why I'm pointing at my life. Because there's times in my life that the best thing I could do was follow Daniel's advice right here. But instead, it's easier just to start yakking. But God said in 2 Chronicles 7, 14, he said, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, I'll heal their land. I believe God will still do that. If we'll pray. So he, he begins to pray and make supplication. Now listen to this, the last part of verse 3. With fasting. Remember, only certain things break loose through fasting. Most of us don't like to fast. I don't like to fast. Not one of my favorite things. But they're significant with it. You remember when Jesus' disciples, they couldn't cast out the demon in the little boy? And they looked at Jesus and said, why couldn't we cast him out? And Jesus said, ye little faith. And then Jesus jumped over and said, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. So when you run into a certain demon like he was talking about, you might as well understand it. It's going to take someone that will say, I'm going to fast and pray. So he's here talking about fasting and praying with sackcloth and ashes. Now, anytime you see sackcloth and ashes, that means they were, they were mourning or they were in a position of repentance. They knew things weren't right. Verse 4, And I, Daniel, prayed to the Lord God, and I made confession. And I made confession. That means he repented. Now understand me clearly right now, in no way, no way at all am I slapping Catholicism here, okay? That's not my point in this. He said, I made confession. I want every one of us in this room to understand this, that as a born-again believer, you can make confession. You can repent for your sins. You don't have to go to the priest. You don't have to come to Father Swan. I'll bless you. But you can go, okay? God loves you. And no way am I speaking against him, okay? And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession. And I said, O oh Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. Do you want God to stay in covenant with you? Then love him and obey him. John 14, 15. That's exactly what that is. And that's what Daniel prayed. And then we jump to verse number 5. Now watch this. We have sinned and committed iniquity. Now if there was anybody righteous in Israel, it was Daniel. But if you'll note there, he said we. He didn't say as those stupid other people. He said, we have sinned and we've committed iniquity. So I see right there that he doesn't try to shift the blame. 
He doesn't say our fathers, our founding fathers did this, and this is why we're here. No, he said, I take responsibility for what I've done. And he noted and he said there, we have sinned and we have committed iniquity. Now, you want to see the, the fruit or the results of sin and iniquity? Keep reading. We have done wickedly and rebelled. So anytime I live in sin or iniquities, I'm walking in wickedness and rebellion is what I'm walking in. I'm walking against the things of God. I'm walking contrary to what God asked me. So he said, we've done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. They quit obeying God's word. It's like, I'll live however I want to live. Well, I will tell you, you live in America. It's a free country. You can live however you want, but there's going to be some consequences. Now watch in verse 11, same chapter, verse 11. Yes, all Israel has transgressed. They've trespassed. What did they trespass? God's law. And he has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses the servant of God have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And if you'll note there, he said all of Israel. Kind of sounds like America, doesn't it now? But something happens when believers begin to say, Lord, we're going to repent. We're going to make a difference. Verse 12. And he has confirmed his word which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us. Now, that part in the New Living says this. You have kept your word, and you have done to us exactly as you warned. God will not break his covenant. And we need to heed the warnings that God will do precisely what he says he'll do. Got to get that in our heart, guys. I can't bypass those things. Verse 13, or 12. And he has confirmed his words which he spoke against us, against our judges who judge us, by bringing upon us a great disaster. For under the whole heaven, such has never been done as that has been done even to Jerusalem. And as written in the law of Moses, all this disaster, destruction has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. He tells me right there, part of the issue, we may confess our sins, but have we turned from them? And this is what every one of us in the room have got to begin to understand this, that if I'll confess them and I'll ask God to begin to grace me, God will help me to grace me to turn from those things. But God's got a plan for every one of us in this room. And if you'll notice twice there, once in verse 11, once in verse 13, he talked about the commands of Moses. Turn to Deuteronomy 28. And in this whole chapter of Deuteronomy 28, it talks about two things, the blessing and the curse. Verses 1 through 14 talk about the blessing. Verse 15 through 63 talk about the curse. Now, in this, in this passage here, Moses, before his death, he gave a, a chilling prophecy of the whores that would come to the children of Israel if they shunned God. 
And what I mean by shun God, they quit serving God. You quit serving God, he told them, there's going to be a curse come upon you. It's not going to be good. Now look what he says, and I just want to read three verses here. Start in verse 45. Moreover, all these curses shall come upon you. They they shall pursue you, overtake you, and you will be destroyed. These curses will pursue you. They'll overtake you, and they'll destroy you. Why? Look at the very next word, because. There's a because factor. Now pay close attention. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments, his statutes, which he commanded you. You refused to listen and to obey. And when I refuse to listen and obey the commandments of God, then understand this. The curse begins to pursue us. It will overtake us and it will ultimately destroy us. That was his warning for every one of us. That same thing's going to happen, okay? These things are going to happen if I don't pay attention and say, you know what, I'm going to live by the word of God. Love God, hate sin. Verse 46. And they shall be upon you for a sign or a wonder or a warning And on your descendants, your offspring, forever. Wow. So right there, you see a generational iniquity that begins to take place. And it was a result of people who chose not to obey God. Verse 47. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart, For the abundance of everything. Now if you'll get that right there. This really worked me over. Because he said you didn't serve God. Many times Christians we serve God. But we're the biggest sourpusses in the world. If we smiled our face would crack. And you hear Christians just moan and groan about how tough it is to be a Christian. Oh, it's just work. It's labor. We never have any fun. And, and we are called belly aching Christians. But he said there, if you would serve me, how? With joy and gladness of heart. He didn't say sadness of heart. He said gladness of heart. In other words, we ought to be the most vibrant people on earth. We ought to serve him with great joy. Instead of walking around acting like, man, it's rough being a Christian. How can it be rough being a Christian? We win. We go to heaven. You know the apostle Paul said in Philippians 1? He said, for me to live is for Christ, but to die is the gain. You know what that tells me? I win either way. If I'm alive, I'm going to live for Jesus. But if I die, I'm out of here. I'm going to heaven. And people that die right now today, that go to heaven today, I look at them and say, way to go. You got out of this place. You're in heaven. But I got to heed these things. Proverbs 28. That's our next one. Proverbs chapter 28. Now this is an incredible proverb. Hang in here with me. I just got a few more verses I want to give you. 
Because I want you to see biblically some things here today that will revolutionize your life. If I'll not only hear the word, but I'll act on it and I'll obey it. Proverbs 28, verse 13. He who covers, conceals, or whitewashes his sin will not prosper. Pretty clear, wasn't it? You try to conceal or hide your sin, he said, you're not going to prosper. And understand this, when God says things, God doesn't bluff, okay? He's not bluffing. Look how it ends. But whoever confesses and forsakes or renounces his sin, them will have mercy. And so right here, God gives me direction. He says, one, confess it, and two, forsake it. So when I go to the Lord and I begin to confess my sin, according to 1 John 1, 9, that he said, if you'll confess your sin, that he's faithful enough to, to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So I begin to do that. Now, anytime I've done that, God will begin to grace me. It says his, his grace is sufficient. That when sin abound, grace abounds much more. So if I'll, I'll begin to ask God, Father God, grace me today. Grace me today that I don't live this way. I don't want to keep walking in the direction I'm doing. I need your help today. God will help. Do you know in, in, in James 4, 8, he says, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. Hang out with God and God will hang out with you. But my job here, once again, you've seen this several times a day. Take responsibility for your choices. So how does that look? First of all, I repent of my iniquities. Call it what it is. Number two, I confess the iniquities of my fathers, my grandfathers, my great-grandfathers. I believe this is very important too. And I don't need a show of hands, but I believe there's a lot of you that you've been severely wounded by someone in your life. Whether it was a father or a mother. I'm going to highlight the word got to. You got to forgive them. You got to forgive them, okay? And the reason the Lord said in Mark eleven twenty five, he said, if you don't forgive them, I can't forgive you. Now, if you hold on to that, understand you can do that, but there's severe consequences. God can't move in your life. Many of you have heard me tell this story before. We had a woman in the church years ago. She had a tumor the size of a, a volleyball in her tummy. She's up here at, at Covenant. Seventh floor. That's a fact. I remember very clearly. So I've been in here praying through the day, and I knew I was going to go up and, and pray for her. I was going to lay hands on her in the name of Jesus and do just what the Bible said, anoint her with oil. And I'm in here praying, and I hear the voice of the Lord right here in my heart. And it's very clear. And he says, don't pray for her. And I said, why? And he said, I've dealt with her heart for years. And until she forgives, I can't heal her. So I go up to the hospital and I'm on the elevator and I hit the button to the seventh floor. And I'm going up and I hear the Lord say, don't pray for her. I'm not going to heal her. So I walk in and she sees me and she is lit up. There's pastor the first five minutes she sees me. And she said, you come to pray for me? 
And I looked and I think, oh boy. And I said, I can't pray for you. And she said, why not? And I said, the Lord told me to tell you. He can't heal you until you forgive. And she spins around and looks at me and she says, I'll die before I'll ever forgive him. And I mean, she, she grew fangs. <laughs> and it was ugly. And I said to her, I said, listen, God wants to heal you. But unless you re- re- release that, you got him all bottled up. And she said, I'll go to my grave before I'll, I'll, I'll forgive that man. And I said, I wash my hands, okay? I fear God more than I fear you, so I'm not praying for you. Be like laying empty hands on empty head. I can't do that. So get a hold of this. I got you one more verse. Jeremiah 3. Jeremiah 3. Just keep moving right there. Back to your right. Remember, Jesus did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. If I could have fixed me, Jesus would have never needed to come and do what he did. But remember what we read there in Isaiah 53, 6, where the Lord said, I've piled all of humanity's iniquities upon him. He was wounded. He was bruised. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 12. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return backsliding Israel, says the Lord. Return backsliding. Now, that may not be a term you're familiar with, but the word backslide there, it means a person that at one time had received Jesus as Lord of his life and then started living for the world. So instead of living for God, they went back and started living for the world. Now, you can study that, the prodigal son there in Luke. I think it's Luke 11. I'm not positive right off the top of my head. But anyhow, when you study the prodigal son, it says three words. It said he was alive, he was dead, and he's alive again. He wasn't talking physically. He was talking spiritually that the prodigal son at one time was alive to the things of God. But he left and went back to the world. And remember when you study that passage, he he started eating with the pigs. He started hanging out with the pig and the pig pens. You start hanging out with the pigs, you won't like it very long. And it said he came to his thinking and he said, I got to return back to my father. And when he returned back to Father God, it said that, that the father saw him and ran toward him. And he tackled him and he held him down and kissed him. See, that's how God wants to do to you. God's not mad at you. He's just saying, come on back. And so he came back to God and he gave his heart back to him and he became alive again. That might correct your theology a little bit right there, okay? He was alive, he was dead, and he was alive. What do you think would have happened to that guy if while he was living in the pig pens, he would have died? You answer it. Keep reading. Verse 12. Go and proclaim these words to the north and say, Return backsliding Israel, says the Lord. I will cause my anger to fall on you, for I am merciful, says the Lord. I will not remain angry forever. Verse 13. Now this is a good one. Only acknowledge your iniquity. Only acknowledge it. Okay, Father God. 
Keep reading. That you have transgressed or trespassed against the Lord your God and have scattered your charms or your ways to alien deities under every green tree. What he's talking about there is they started serving idols. And when we see idols, our thought is real quick, well, I'm not going to serve a wooden or carved thing. I'm not going to have that in my house. But understand this, an idol can be anything that I put over God. The NFL. Well, pastor, you'll see me in church all year until the NFL's on. Then I got the NFL ticket. You won't see me until football's over. Okay? I got a tee-off time at 1030 every Sunday morning. You won't see me. But I love Jesus. See, I can start putting pleasures. I can start having idols in my life that aren't just about carved images. So he goes on and says here, And you have not obeyed my voice, says the Lord. Verse 14. Return, O backsliding children, says the Lord, for I am married to you. What does that mean? God's not into casual dating. God wants all of us. He's a jealous God. And I don't mean this ugly, but don't treat God like a sugar daddy. Don't treat God like a life preserver. The only time you want God is when you need him to bail him out, and then you make this pact with him. Father God, if you'll get me out of jail today, then I'll serve you the rest of my life. How do you know that one, Pastor? Because I used to do that. See, God wants all of us. He's a jealous God. Think about this in the marriage covenant. I'm in a marriage covenant. I've been in a marriage covenant now for 34 years. I'm a jealous husband. I ain't sharing her with nobody. Now think about Father God with all of us kids. He said, you're mine. I want to be married to you. The last verse there, we'll quit. Verse 4 or 15. And I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. You're welcome. I just had to throw that in. You know why? Because I will tell you this. I don't care who you are. Don't look or listen to any human being, including this one, who doesn't preach this right here. It'll goof you up in a hurry. And that's why I want you opening your Bible right here. I was around a young guy this weekend, and he, he's, he's so freaked out about the state of our world that he has more guns than our military. He studied every survivalist magazine. He's talking about moving to Canada and having him a compound where he can go underground for six months at a time. But you know what I said to him? I said, dude, I can't find anywhere in the Bible where Jesus said when, it gets going, when the going gets tough, go underground for six months. I can't find it anywhere. And I can't find anywhere. Where I'm supposed to live however I want. I told him the best thing you can do for you and your family right now. Is get your little blessed assurance in a church. And sit under the word of God. And he's kind of looked at me like a cow at a new gate. Like. But see something happens when we begin to get a hold of the word of God. The word of God will help me. It will teach me. It will give me the blueprint of life. So you've seen over and over today. 
Now, when I talked about the blood of Jesus, that we got to live under the blood, how do I live under the blood of Jesus? How did you get born again? According to Romans 10, 9, and 10, to get born again, you believe with your heart and you confess with your mouth. When we talk about the blood of Jesus and you think about 1 Corinthians 5 where it said Jesus is our Passover, what was the Passover about? Remember, it was about them taking a, a lamb that was without spot or blemish and they sacrificed and they took his blood, they put it on the doorposts and the lentils and then they partake of him and they ate him. That was the communion elements. We today, we don't need to go out and get little, little lazy lamb or whatever she is and slit her throat, okay? The lamb has been slain once and for all and his name was Jesus and we sing worthy is the lamb. The reason is his blood has an eternal, an eternal warranty on it. The blood of Jesus is good forever. And so the way I begin to apply the blood of Jesus is I begin to believe in my heart that the blood of Jesus will do exactly what the Bible says it'll do. And then I begin to confess it. I begin to speak out of my mouth. How does that look like? Well, according to uh, Revelations 12, 11, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb. So I begin to speak that. I'm an overcomer by the blood of Jesus. I thank you the blood of Jesus washes me white as snow. The blood of Jesus cleanses me. My mind thinks in line. I speak the blood over my mind. I speak the blood over my thoughts. I speak the blood over my tongue. So really, I'm living underneath the blood just by the words out of my mouth, and I believe in my heart. Now, this may help you this morning, but in Revelations, you'll probably hear this the next couple of weeks, Revelations 12, verse 10, it, it calls the devil the accuser of the brethren. You know what an accuser does? He brings accusations against us all day. So this is what the devil does before the throne room of God all day. He says, you know, Joel and Peggy, they're sorry, Father God. They've done this and this and this and this. And Paul, he's an old rat. He's done this and this and that. The, the devil said that. I didn't say that. And, and, and he starts doing that all day. He goes before, it says he goes before the throne room of God all day and night yakking about us. They've fallen short of your glory, Father God. They've broken your commandments. They've trespassed. And Father God, you know, he's the supreme justice. He's listening in this case of law. And all of a sudden he says, Jesus, and Jesus walks out, and he comes in, and God says, let's see the evidence. And Jesus takes off his jacket, turns around, and shows him the stripes. And Jesus goes like this, and he shows him the nail print. And Father God says, for me and you, innocent, free to go. And so as a believer, the old time saints would say this, we plead the blood of Jesus. The word plea comes from a, a court session. When you go in and the judge says, how do you plea? Well, if I was in a court of law today before Father God and he said, how do you plea? I would have to plead guilty because I've sinned. But because of the blood of Jesus, I plead the blood. And now Father God says, you're free. You're free. You're free. And so don't be afraid to plead the blood. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.